what happens with many salespeople and investors and entrepreneurs is they get stuck on a, you know, the, the deal roller coaster, right? They work real hard until they get a deal and then they close it and then they go, and then they got to stop doing anything. And then they get back on that roller coaster and go, okay, I got to do another deal. I got to do another deal. So they're just like running, running around crazy, right? So the idea with Connect to Build and Grow is to create systems and scale uh, for an ongoing enterprise with leverage. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you really, why you're being an investor is to create passive income that doesn't require you. Because as soon as you are not there and you stopped doing the deals, then everything stops, right? So. Welcome to Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here's your host, Annette Talee. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Talee, and my guest today is Karen Briscoe. Welcome, Karen. Well, thank you for having me. And who doesn't love being a deal closer? I mean, I got I heard about that. I was like, I want to know more about this podcast. So thank you for having me as a guest. I am super excited to have you. I mean, your bio is amazing. And one of my, my goals with the podcast is to fe feature successful women in real estate. Uh, you know, we love men, but like we want to feature more women. So I'm super excited to have you. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Karen. Um, she is the host of the 5-Minute Success Podcast, which has ranked number one on Overcast, most recommended in the business category. The show has an amazing array of guests who achieve success at high level. Karen is also a frequent guest on other podcasts that focus on entrepreneurial success and motivation, as well as real estate-related topics. She speaks at national and local level on the best of five minutes success. Further, she has completed the John Maxwell Team Certification Program for coaching, speaking, and training. Uh, she is the principal of Huckabee Briscoe Conroy Group, HBC, with Keller Williams. And her group has been recognized by the Wall Street Journal as one of the 250 top realtor teams in the United States. I mean, she has an amazing resume. She has written books, um, the five-minute success conf, uh, concept, uh, and the book is called Real Estate Success in Five Minutes a Day, Secrets of the Top Agent Reveal, and Commit to Get Leads 66-Day Challenge. I mean, I am super excited to talk about the five minutes a day uh, because I think a lot of people... Um, you know, are like sometimes stuck on their business and they need this type of, uh, of uh, pillars to, to keep building their business. But let's start, let's start and tell me a little bit about you and your personal story. How did you get into real estate? Well, I actually started out in dirt <laughs> in the early 80s in Dallas and I worked for a residential real estate developer, Trammell Crow, and we'd buy land and put in streets, utilities, and sell lots to home builders. So I go way back, um, <laughs> decades. My, I met my husband there. We had our two children, and his career took us to the um, Northern Virginia, D.C. metro region. And we've been here uh, for almost 30 years. And his career actually was the primary breadwinner for the first uh, dozen or so years of raising our children. And I'm, I'm glad that I had the opportunity to uh, be present, but I also re realized that I was called for much more. And uh, so I went back into the workforce and went to work for uh, the Starbucks company at the Nextel and did sales engineering and warehouse offices. Well, found out pretty quickly that once you've seen one sales engineering warehouse office, you've seen them all. And I, and it was also during the tech bust. You know, it's interesting. I, I feel like I've been doing a lot of failing for your, forward in my career because I 
really had an opportunity to stay with Nextel, but there is no money in disposition. I, that, is, that is for sure. When you're disposing of assets, there isn't any money. In it. And so I had an opportunity to go on the residential side. I had my license. And I have to say, there's this conception that the residential people do all the soft things, <laughs> uh, the, the soft skills, you know, of, of people, uh, relationships, and, and the hard skills that comes out of the commercial world of negotiation and market knowledge and strategy. What I found, though, is I really am very good at both. And that led to success pretty rapidly. And that led to me becoming uh, partners with, at the time, uh, number 10 in the nation agent. And she passed away in 06 and I took over her business. Um, and, but it was, well, actually we became partners in 06. She passed away in 08, which happened to be the same month that the financial markets crashed and along with real estate. The, that was really a challenging time for a lot of people. Um, I had this business that was built on, you know, the heyday and I had to figure out how to first survive and then go on um, from there. And I had a lot of muscle memory from the eighties, uh, the savings and loan crisis in Texas. I was in the commercial real estate world then. And so I remembered what happened and what people did who, who, um, made it out on the other side. And so I, I made a lot of changes rapidly. Uh, one of them was my business partner, Lizzie Conroy, joined me in 09. And she doesn't know any different. She just thinks every deal is hard to do. <laughs> so um, she's been a great business partner. But we set about rebuilding and, and have rebuilt it. And what happened along the way, as often does, when people are successful, people want to know how you do it, right? So I kept speaking, being asked to speak and coach and train people. And invariably, I heard over and over again that people felt like they didn't have enough time. That uh, to per particularly to invest in their personals and business development. And so I said, well, do you have five minutes a day? And everybody did. And that was what led to the five minute success. It was, I was really wanting to overcome the most common objection that I was hearing and found later after writing the book and now the book is four years old and uh, having the five minute success podcast, which is three years old and 300 episodes and having lots of conversations with people become a little bit of a productivity time hack expert uh, that there's reasons there's, there's scientific uh, that's, you know, reasons for why it works. And then of course that has become even more um, empowering, but that's how I got into real estate. Real estate agent today, our team sells over, we're going to see, sell over a hundred million dollars in real estate this year. We're in a very high dollar uh, average home price. So we actually average a million dollar sale is our transaction. So we'll be able to do a hundred deals that some teams you know, flip a lot of burgers. We we flip big burgers, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it means that we have a very sophisticated clientele. Uh, but that that make we it's definitely more interesting. Um, so we're we're not so much in the um, the quantity as we are in in the uh, the. High Real estate deal closers special edition. Let's get into the, the special edition of, of Deal Closers today because we are going to talk about the four core principles uh, that, that we were discussing earlier today that, that you have and that, that you are going to share with my audience. Um, so, so tell me, what are these uh, core principles that we were talking about earlier? You know, that came about, <laughs> it really kind of happened, happenstance as well. I and intended for the book to be different every day because what I found is entrepreneurs and salespeople, they tend to be a little bit of a um, shiny object squirrel kind of phenomenon. They always want something new and exciting. And, and that's one reason why I find that many of them don't stay with consistently with training and personal business development because they get bored with it. So I wanted it to be different every day, but my publisher was very adamant that there should be core themes 
And I was like, okay, 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 okay. Let's just do the core themes. And so I just <laughs> took a piece of paper out and I drew a Venn diagram. And I said, the first circle is commit to get leads. And that's business development, prospecting, lead generation. And everybody does some form of lead generation. So investors, they're, they're lead generating for usually deals or lead generating for money. Uh, or investor capital, or they're lead generating for, you know, talent, for people, right? Uh, they're lead generating for um, for those type of opportunities. It's salespeople are lead generating for actual, you know, customers, clients. And then the next principle is the consult-to-sell. And that is taking that deal, that, that opportunity, and taking it through the transaction, the process, because, if you have a lot of opportunities, but you don't get deals closed, right? I mean, that's why you call it deal closers. You know, you don't call it deal openers. <laughs> uh, you call it deal closer. And that's what we I want. Mean, because, we want deal closers. Right. But there's a lot of process to that, right? Um, there's negotiation strategy. There's market knowledge. Uh, there's um, all sorts of aspects to closing a deal. So that is the consult to sell then there's connect to build and grow. And you and I talked about this. What happens with many salespeople and investors and entrepreneurs is they get stuck on a, you know, the, the deal roller coaster, right? They work real hard until they get a deal and then they close it and then they go, and then they kind of stop doing anything. And then they get back on that roller coaster and go, okay, I got to do another deal. I got to do another deal. So they're just like running, running around crazy, right? So the idea with connect to build and grow is to create systems and scale uh, for an ongoing enterprise with leverage, because you know at the end of the day, you really why you're being an investor is to create passive income that doesn't require you. Because as soon as you are not there and you stopped doing the deals, then everything stops, right? Everything so stops. this everything stops when you, as soon as you do the last deal then that's when everything stops. So there, but there's, there are principles you can put into practice in your business and your life that will create this sustainable ongoing enterprise. And then what I find, and, and you brought this up and it's so true is mindset and motivation component because, you know, they, not all deals are, you know, sometimes they're challenging and, uh, and so the, those, that's called success thinking, activities, and vision. So you create the vision of what you want in your business and life, and then you think about how to do it. And, you know, some people call that affirmations, and it's a little woo-woo. But if you put it into place, if you actually take the actions to do it, <laughs> uh, then it becomes reality. So that's why it's success thinking, activities, and vision. It's all of them. And that comes together to be the sweet spot of success. And those components, it, if in the book, you talked about real estate success in five minutes a day, most of the stories and the applications are real estate related and residential, because that's my primary focus. Uh, what I found is they, they really do apply universally. I mean, like I said, I've had over 300 podcast interviews and I've talked to people in all sorts of professions and entrepreneurial and sales, and they all do those people who operate at a high level all do those things and they do them well. Awesome. I mean, I am like super intrigued because you know, when you start in real estate, or, or a lot of people that start investing, is because they want you know, they want to achieve financial uh, freedom, they want to spend more time with their family, but then you start you know, investing actively. And, and you are more busy than before. And then you're like, wait a second, I, I started this because I wanted to be more time with my family. And then all of a sudden, I'm like working weekends, you know, and, 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 and I know that you have to put the work at the beginning, like you have to create this business. But I am like, I want to get to that part where, where you are uh, removing yourself from the equation and things keep going. And so let's, let's start with it with the first uh, principle. Well, so commit to get leads. Um, you know, there's there's lots of uh, great strategies on you know finding leads. The one that I have found consistently uh, for success is you know what I call activity tracking. 
Um, because what I find is, is that a lot of people, you know, may fo follow the time blocking, you know, where they set a certain amount of time. The challenge with time blocking is, is once the time go goes away or passes, if you haven't done, actually done anything, <laughs> Um, then you're not going to have anything to show for it when you track your activities. So how many people you contact and you just, you determine that in advance, what it's, what you're going to commit to. So that's why it's commit to get it. Then you can get a better um, reading and understanding on what it takes to actually get a deal. Because I think that's where a lot of people really don't factor in uh what it's going to take to, to find the deal and to, for investors, find the deal and find the money, right? And so what if you want to create repeatable systems, then you have to track what you're doing. So however it is that you uh, contact um, to, to find your opportunities, you need to have some sort of tracking system for that. So I call that activity blocking because as opposed to time blocking, because a lot of productivity experts will say, we'll block a certain amount of time. Um, that, and I find this to be more effective. Okay. So for example, for an investor, um, it could be calling brokers to find deals, you know, or it could be uh, if you are trying, you know, doing syndication, you need passive investors and calling passive investors to get capital, right? So instead of uh, setting like an hour a day, you say like, I need to call 15 people. It's, you know, instead yes. of that, like 15 people a day or 15 people, like you you decide the number. So how yes. would you determine this number though? Because when you say, okay, I'm gonna call for one hour, like that's easy, right? You just set the hour and that's it. But when you are saying, okay, I'm gonna commit to this number of calls, how do you um, establish this? Well, I think five a day is a great place to start because I think the other thing I find is, is people, you know, they, they say they're going to call a hundred people and then they don't and, or they do, and then they can't follow up on a hundred calls. So then it just goes to, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make an impact. Um, the thing is, is the difference between time and, an, and a committed to a number is that the time's going to pass whether you actually talk to anybody or not. When you commit to a number, then you know when you've done it. And the beauty is then you know how many people you need to talk to. So like if you find that every, I mean, the, the sales numbers are you talk to, if, if you are cold calling 100 people, like let's say you're going into tax records to find um, non-occupied uh, properties to see if you can find investors, right? So you, you reach out to 100 that you don't know, 10 will likely you know, call back or actually talk to you. Three will meet with you and one will do it. So that's the, the statistics are 100 to one. So how can you better those numbers, right? Better numbers are you could actually meet with 10 people that you already know that are active investors, right? That's one way you could do it instead of just going out and trying to cold call 100 people. So you'll, 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 when you track your numbers, you will get a better understanding of what you need to do in order to achieve the results you want. Right. And how long do you track? Like how long do you, or is this like it could change, I guess? Oh, I've been tracking it for, this is a day out of real estate. 2002, I still have all my tracking. Um, I even had my very first week in the business and I could go back and tell you which deals came out of those calls. Amazing. Yeah. And because that's the beautiful thing about it, you'll start to see patterns of what, you know, people in certain situations turn into business and what doesn't. So then you can create more repeatable instead of constantly just shotgunning it, you know, and just going after everything, you start to become purposeful because yeah. it'll, it'll become more evident what leads to an actual deal closed <laughs> and what is just you know dead in the water so that's lots of reasons why the more you track it the more you'll know where your deals are coming from and that that is part of creating you know your avatar your ideal investor or your ideal deal or your ideal client or whatever it is you're trying to create you want to determine what are those um, aspects to it so that then when you 
see it, then it'll be more evident. Right. Or yeah. you meet, meet that person, right? Absolutely. Yeah, because you're like, if, if you are talking like with, in, on the example that you were saying that you are, you know, calling, you know, 100 people, then when you start hearing the same things, then you know how to react. Yes, well, and again, you get better conversion. So that's, you know, the consult to sell. I mean, the, the, you can, you could come at this in one of two ways, right? <laughs> you can either call more people or you can get, or reach out to more people and whatever, you know, calling is not always what happens anymore. But the idea of contacting people, you're, you're going to get better at it. And so then your conversion numbers are going to go up, right? You're going to get more deals closed. That's this information is what's so valuable. Right. And that's what you glean by keeping track. Yep. All right. So, so what's next? Once you, you keep, you are tracking these calls and, and you're starting to get more leads, then what's the next step? Well, then it's converting the leads, right? Because if you don't convert the lead, then you don't get a, a deal closed. Um, there's lots of strategies on negotiation and how to, um, you know, to, to actually uh, come to an agreement. It, it, there's, I would say the most common negotiation strategy that I found in terms of pricing is, you know, the classic meet in the middle. I mean, it happens almost so often that it's like, do people not even recognize that that's what they're doing? Um, so there's a book called Negotiate to Win by Jim Thomas. And he's got so many brilliant ideas, but one of them is to, is based on this idea of meeting in the middle. But what you wanna do is you wanna come close to the middle without coming to the middle to signal to the other side that you are wanting to work together. And that message, interestingly enough, often will determine what the other side does. So then, then you can, uh, it, it helps to, um, I don't want to say color, but it helps to determine what you'll do next <laughs> based on what they do. Many people, uh, want to hold back because they're like, oh no, if I give it all in the beginning, then they're there. I don't have any room left to negotiate. It's so classic. I'm like, yeah, you don't understand. If you don't even get close enough, then you're not going to have a deal to negotiate at all. And the message is what is important to the other party. The counterpart is what they talk about it in the Harvard negotiation project. They, they don't even, they, and they don't call it countering. I don't even call it countering anymore. I call it responding. You, you want to respond because if you say you're countering, then you're, you're referring in a language that the other person is uh, not, Alert, or not like, the same. You know, like attacking, yeah. like, you know, you're countering sounds a lot more like, um, like you're more like a duel, like yeah, you're going to beat exactly. it out, right? You're going to fight it out. So you want to create that. And then the other thing along those lines is in terms of language is, be careful about saying things like, you know, that's our best deal or a final deal or lines and sand and that kind of thing. Because what happens with that kind of language is, is well, if you change your mind, then you sound yeah, like a fool, right? <laughs> yeah, you've closed doors. You can use language like, this is what we can do right now. Why don't you see what you can do? If you could sharpen your pencil and see what you can do, this is what we can do right now. And that keeps the door open. Um, the, I like that because right because now. people, yeah, people do change their minds, and I always give them permission to do that because uh, I I find sometimes people say or do things in the heat of negotiations that they later think about and they go, "Wow, I wish I would have left that open." And you it really this whole idea of um, now I know there's the book about the you know never split the difference and you know but he was a hostage negotiator and you don't split people so I get that. <laughs> in his world if you're if you're negotiating for hostages yeah we're not splitting the person but if you're negotiating for a real estate deal uh you want to find something in the middle right it, it in the harvard negotiation project they call it the envelope everybody's got an envelope of what range they're willing and it's it's it, it's like the price is right range finder game right because it's almost always you're talking about money. I mean, I, invariably. I mean, the first round, you're talking about other terms. 
usually those come to an agreement pretty quickly and you're talking about money. So these are some ways you can, uh, strategy you can use. And both of those are some resources that um, people can. Yeah, I, I love that because, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, when you are buying and you are using a, um, a realtor, there is always something that, you know, could, you know, that you can say to your realtor and then she can relate to the other person in a different way that you have to be very careful what you say. Like, you know, like even if you know your final number, like sometimes it's not a good idea to tell your realtor, right? Like you have to have it in your mind and tell your realtor, like you said, like, this is what I can do right now and leave the door open for more negotiations because, you know, you know, you don't want to, like you were saying, like you, you don't want to give your final final number at the beginning, uh, but you don't want to be too low either. You know, you don't want to insult the person on the other side. Yeah, I mean, there are some people that do. You know, that they'll offer their best deal in the beginning, and I, I've seen that. But if you are going into it thinking that you're negotiating, I'm, I'm giving you the strategies that most commonly work in negotiations, and. Many times people say to me things that I, I know they don't really want me to convey because if I did, it would kill the deal. So, you know, we're deal kill closers, not deal killers. So if you're in the this business to help people come to an agreement, then you have to help them find how to do that. And people don't do it every day. So they just don't have the skills. But you can build the skills. I mean, they're they're learned. I mean, I learned how to do it. I actually learned how to do it with my son who was two years old and had nothing to learn lose. But <laughs> uh, I learned how to negotiate against him. And so that taught me a lot. But, um, but those are a couple of resources if you're wanting to uh, hone up on negotiation strategy. Absolutely. I mean, negotiation is such an important part of any invest investment, right? Like even if you're like buying or you're selling, or if you are, you know, it's always part of the of the equation, you know, like you have to to be good at. Uh, I was just talking today to a friend that had an offer, and um, he offered below market, and he got the inspections, and he wanted to ask for for more, and he was extending the also extending the contract, and I was like, don't don't like. Like, make sure that you don't like throw too much at them because they're going to say no. And then next, like, right, especially right now when you are in a seller's market, like at least here down in Florida, properties are going like pancakes. It's just crazy. Well, um, that's a really good point. You need to know where you are, because if you're in a seller's market and you're a buyer, then it's a different strategy than if you're, you know, in a buyer's market. I mean, you, you, that, that should probably be one of the first things you determine is where you are in, in the market cycle. Uh, what happens in um, buyers mar- in sellers markets is buyers have less you know contingencies and negotiation. In fact, in some ways, it's the other way around. You're trying to figure out how to write an offer that'll get accepted and, and to keep the deal together. So yes, there's lots of different levels of, of strategy for negotiations. And that would probably be one of the first things you want to figure out is which side of the equation you're on. Awesome. All right. Yeah. I, I, um, I also always like to think, you know, if you, like if you're ask, asking for a discount or if you're offering less, like if that difference in money, if you're going to regret it, if you lose the deal, right? Like if, if you're asking for a $5,000 discount and then you lose the deal, are you going to be okay? And if you, if the answer is no, if you're going to be devastated, then don't ask for the discount. But if you're going to be okay and you think, oh, there's going to be another deal, then by all means, um, offer less. Uh, but if you're like, if you know that it's a good property and, and that, if you lose it for that little amount of money that you're trying to negotiate, then, then don't do it. You know, if you're going to be able to recover that money in like, you know, a couple of months, then why risk it? You know, it really, it also, that's a very good point. And a lot of it depends on, you know, what your perspective is. Um, what I find as well is to think about it in terms of supply and demand, because part of regret is, 
can you replace that, right? Mm -hmm. If there's plenty of supply <laughs> that you can replace it with, then there, you're less likely to have regret. If there's less supply in your ability to go out and substitute what you're, you know, you're looking for, you could very well regret it. So you have to look at that cost. You have to look at that opportunity lost as part of the cost. Because if that is your time as well, you know, I don't know how long it takes to evaluate a deal in in terms of replacement ability, then you may have made up the $5,000 by just calculating that, that opportunity cost. Absolutely. And, and I, um, I say that because when I was buying my first property, we were looking for a year. An entire year we were looking because like, you know, we were also finding our, like what we wanted. You know, we looked at so many properties that at that point we knew exactly what we wanted. And when we saw this property, they underpriced it. And so we offer full price. And then it was this uh, Friday night. Uh, by Monday, they had like 10 offers. So they picked the, the, the highest three and told us to give them the, the, our best. Um, and I think it was listed for like 70,000, but we knew it was worth over a thousand, a hundred. So we offer a hundred, but we thought like everybody's going to offer a hundred. So we did like a hundred and, and something else, like a little bit more. Uh, because a, a friend of ours, our, our mentor, asked me that question. If you lose this property, are you going to be devastated? Then like, think, think like an investor and put $10,000 more. And like, it was like hard you know, to put like $10,000 more, but it, I, we got the property. You know, and we but were, you, see, you were actually paying what the market was demanding for that, right? I mean, you really weren't overpaying. And I love the idea of a unique number. I often will take the address. So like if it's, you know, 1432, you know, um, Maple Avenue, then I'll make the offer have that number in it. Yeah, we, we use our lucky number. So we okay, always make it like whatever the number we want. And then I, the last few numbers, I make sure that have our lucky numbers. Uh, and it, it, I think it's, it has worked out. But, uh, but like you were saying, I wasn't really overpaying because we knew the property was uh, worth that and more. Uh, but, you know, going from what they wanted, what they listed it at, which was trying to cause like a, a lot of offers, which, you know, did it, you know, like, but we were challenged to, to look at the value and offer the value because we knew that it was worth that much. So, so when you're in a, in a rising market, and this isn't for me, this is for Warren Buffett, <laughs> but when you're in a rising market, then prices are rising. So you really... There's very little risk in overpaying in a rising market. If you're in a flat or a potentially correcting market, then there's there's still less risk, okay? Because um, if you, no one really knows for sure, but you're either going to buy it on the way up or you're going to buy it on the way down, right? Mm -hmm. Or people start buyers start to become. Um, pull back is when the market is correcting so fast that they don't know where the bottom is. And for a seller, it's like catching the knife all the way down. And so part of knowing how to make offers and to accept offers is to know where you are in the market cycle. And that is best done by, by just following supply and demand. Absolutely. All right. So let's let's go to the next um, the next principle. Well, so that is the connect to build and grow. And you mentioned that you said you you feel that as well yourself, right? Because you're realizing that you're working so much in your business of doing deals that you're not working as much on your business, and that is what is going to help create the scale, this ongoing business enterprise that then can operate without you. Because as long as it needs you in it, then when you stop doing it, then it's, it's not going to be operating um, optimally. So connecting to build and grow is creating systems. And that will um, 
that will help you. So anything that is done repeatable becomes a system. And the more you can systematize your operations and your procedures, and you can more likely be able to delegate. And then you start realizing your worth, right? Because your time then becomes a valuable commodity. I mean, you're, you're like real estate, right? So the appraiser says that real estate should be used at its highest and best use. So that's what they, we seek to do with, with land. Well, we should be seeking to do that with ourselves. So the investor's highest and best use is finding deals and finding the money and doing the deals. So everything else <laughs> really isn't the investor's highest and best use, unless it's, you know, you love to do it because it's, you know, there, there are some things people love to do, but I'm not going to say you can't do it. I'm just saying what an investor should be doing is, is finding deals and doing deals. Right. Right. And, and, and everything else should be systematized. Right. And delegate. you can start with the stuff that you don't like doing. Right? Yes. Yeah. Start there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like, Cleaning the house. <laughs> right. Cleaning the houses. Yes, absolutely. Or bookkeeping. And it's still, when my husband and I got to five doors, I said, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. You've got, to, I have a bookkeeper for my business, but we'd always done our own personal. He, my husband had been doing it. And I was like, that's ridiculous. We have got to put, the, because first of all, we're probably, you're probably missing a lot of deductions because you're not paying attention to them. Um, and it, I, he resisted at the beginning, but once we did it, he was like, oh my gosh, you were so right. Because then every time you go to buy the next deal, you know, everything is all set up. Um, the documentation is there. I think, and so, that is, that is, I think it's like so important, but at the same time, it is something that, you know, people don't want to spend money until they are making a lot of money. Right. And that's what. Um, kind of keeps you from delegating to other people. Um, so I, I have the same the same thing with me and my business. Like, I don't want to start paying somebody to do things until I start making more money, until I feel that I can pay them or I can keep them busy, right? But that keeps moving and moving because like you never feel that way. So I think like you just have to do it. Start doing it because then you're going to find more time to do uh, more productive stuff that is going to bring you more business. Well, that's the point. I mean, you know, the bookkeeper's $45 an hour and I, you know, I think my dollar average is $500 an hour. I mean, that, that, that is not even, you know, comparison. So you have to also look at what's going to take you to the next level, right? Because what happens with a lot of entrepreneurs and investors is they hit a ceiling and, you know, there's certain places where people uh, hit ceilings, but that ceiling of achievement, what you can do on your own, right? You, you, we all are limited, right? In our time and our energy and what you could do on your own, if you think about it, if you bring in the people that are really good at what they do to take over those things, then you're going to have the time and energy in the space to do more higher, again, higher and best uh, self things. Um, it, it really is a mindset. You have, that's why um, many people stay, they stay, they, stay, they stay small. They don't grow because they don't grow themselves. You know, it, I think it was Jim Rohn said that you'll only achieve a success to the level that you personally. So it, Many times with the entrepreneur, they're holding themselves back because they're not um, releasing those things that they should allow other people to do so that then they could go to the next level. Right. And, and that, that is one struggle that I have personally. You know, like I, um, like sometimes it's like, oh, I'm going to have somebody else do it. But I'm like, oh just explaining them how to do it is going to take me twice as much, right? And then you don't want to, but if you think about it, if, it, if it's something that it's going to be repeated, then you are going to 
yes, you're going to waste four hours the first time, but then you're going to save a hundred hours in the future. But there are some things that you really like a, a good bookkeeper. You shouldn't have to do much training, right? I mean, once you turn over your, your documents, um, and a good house cleaner, right? Yeah, I mean, they shouldn't need much trading, right? So if, and I like using contract labor. I mean, I like using, you know, virtual assistants. I like using people for certain, I think some thing that also often holds people back is like, oh, I, I can't afford to pay staff. I'm like, well, almost everything can be done on a contract labor basis now. So just pay for the services you need. But I would start with a bookkeeper because it is such a game changer. Um, in terms of getting, you'll, you'll have better tracking of your numbers <laughs> and you'll see uh, where you can uh, be more effective. And uh, most small time investors though, they, they still want to, uh, they still hold on to that. So we, that's something I want to, I think that many people could take that um, and put so, that into practice. They would find, they would go uh, further. So you said like the first thing, like get a bookkeeper, like what would be, what were the, the things that you... Um, that was what I did first, actually. I mean, I even did that before I hired um, a, an executive assistant because I found that it was so time-consuming. And so, yeah, that's what I did first. And then I got an assistant to do all of the routine, you know, for right. me, it was putting listings in the computer, taking photos, ordering signs, delivering brochures, um, just all of those details that, and then, and then on the other side of it, the transaction coordinator is what is once you have the contract going contract to settlement. So there are ways to systematize all of that. Um, but, but yes, it, the very first thing I did was get a bookkeeper. Awesome. So I highly recommend. So, the, but anyhow, the point is, is there's lots of systems and opportunities for leverage. And just think about what your time is worth because you are, it, and they're only, you're only going to grow to the level that you grow. So that's where you get to start, start with you first. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. All right. So what's the fourth um, principle? Well, that's the success thinking activities and vision. And, you know, just in this one example, right? You have a vision of an ongoing sustainable enterprise. So then you think about how to do it, you know, and then just do the next thing. Um, you don't have to do everything at once, but, you know, pick one thing and then set it into practice, set up, set up the activities. Because what I find often happens with people with vision is that they, they create the vision board or they, they have the January, you know, where they, set out there what's going to, you know, what they want to accomplish for the, the year. And then they forget about it. <laughs> uh, or they may do the affirmations in the morning. They may do that, but they often uh, don't put into action the, what will make it happen. And, and um, I'm a very action oriented person. I do like breaking it down, chunking it down to, I feel, I find a year to be too much time. So I do like the quarterly or the 12 week uh, year. I follow that myself. Oh, I and just read that book. It's awesome. Yeah. So anyhow, but it, it's a great concept because I do think that, you know, planning on an annual basis has, has its value, but using that as your structure is it's just too much time. So the, the 12 week year is a great uh, resource for that. And it keeps you focused as well, right? Like you have just, you know, a couple of things that you're trying to accomplish and you are not like, you don't have like a hundred things on your list. So it helps you just focus on that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you can chunk it down. And also you'll find that at different quarters, you know, there there is a seasonality a lot of times to real estate now you know, there's, and there's things that happen like COVID that totally throw all that out the window, but, um, but often there is a seasonality. So if you, if you chunk it down into quarters, then you can plan for those seasonal aspects to the business as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I also like, you know, when I, let's say I go to a conference and, or, you know, you have, you take so much away and you don't know where to start. 
and then you feel overwhelmed and then you don't do anything. So I was like, okay, just pick one thing, just pick one thing and just do that one. Like don't get overwhelmed. And then once you're done with that one thing, then you get to the next one. Um, but it, that's better to do just one thing, implement just one thing than, than getting overwhelmed and not doing anything. Well, and that's actually one of the reasons why the five minute success has been so impactful for people that that are doing it is because that is what often happens. It's this tsunami of information, even just books, like reading a real estate book or whatever. People are like, okay, this is great, but I can't do all this right now. I can't apply all this right now. I don't have time to read the whole thing right now. So then they don't do anything. And there is a lot of uh, research associated with you know, starting small and building up. So the idea of taking one concept, one idea and implementing it and so that then you could actually um, see the benefits of it. You can see the impact of it and you'll be able to use it in your business and life instead of, again, (laughs) taking on this overwhelming amount is oftentimes counterproductive in a lot of ways because you know, if you um, go to a training or you go to any kind of uh, information gathering opportunity, even listen to podcasts, but you don't do anything about it, then it's just, inter- it's entertainment actually, which I'm fine with. I mean, if you want to listen to podcasts for entertainment or read books for entertainment, I mean, certainly uh, that's, that's um, you know, that's where you get your, your uh Um, enjoyment out of but if you're doing this because you want to build a business and you want to create something that has value then I think the big purposeful makes a lot more sense absolutely productivity hack all right so let's Let's talk about now about your productivity hack. What has that? What has been that one thing that you've done that you that you've implemented in your business and it had make a big impact? So, because I'm become kind of a productivity expert with the five minute success, I would say that the hack of starting small and building up, because. that's where the five minutes came into play was that people were trying to take on too much and then they again got overwhelmed. So start small and build up. You'll start to experience the benefits of it. And then you may want to do more, which is fine. You can, but if you want to actually implement something and make change and to build the habits that are sustainable, then I recommend the starting small and building up. Awesome. Expert tips. All right. So now we come to the part of the show where you're going to give me three expert tips and you are going to give me three expert tips on how to predict the market trends. So market trend prediction is something that a lot of investors and people in the real estate space all want to know about. So how do you know where the market is going? So the quote by Wayne Gretzky, the hockey uh, player, is he skates to where the market is going. And that's what, as a real estate investor, you want to do. So one of the the hacks or the the, uh, expert tips is to really understand supply and demand because it's like gravity. So how do you know? Well, supply and demand is like gravity. And the way that I find, and I did this in my commercial spaces and also in the residential world, is that you determine based on a six month, because that's what most economists and appraisers are going to value real estate based on. So you determine what the demand was. So how many were sold or how many were absorbed? And then you determine what is available to in supply. If you're interested in a certain market segment, then you want to be tracking that. Um, Because the second tip is the market is the market study. So there are all sorts of (laughs) predictions and predictors out there. And 
you know, appraisers are going to do their analysis, but you got to think that they're looking backwards, right? And just like your financial advisor says, past performance is not an indicator of future results. It is still the best indicator because it's the only thing we have. Because when you're investing in real estate, you're looking into the future and you're wanting to determine where it's going. So if you're following a certain market segment and you start to see a trend, like it's been a uber buyer's market and all of a sudden it's just a normal market, that is a trend to be watching, right? You should, as a buyer, be able to get more terms or more negotiations on offer price, that kind of thing. So that's the second one is market is a market study. And then the third one is what I call New York, New York. And that's based on the Frank Sinatra song. If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. So the idea with this is, this is what developers do, is they look for what are key aspects to one market segment that makes it valuable or in demand and then look for what are those leading indicators in similar market areas. That's how you'll find about emerging markets. So you could get somewhere before everybody else gets there. That's how you find it. So it's New York, New York. So like if you can make it there, you can make it somewhere else. So you have to figure out where you can make it somewhere else that has similar market characteristics. So those are the three expert tips on predicting market trends. Love it. I love it. And I'm going to be doing that. You know, that is very interesting to obviously the demand and, and the, the supply will, will um, determine the market, but like tracking it for six months, that's the part that I wasn't, you know, I didn't know that, you know, if you start tracking it, then you're going to see where, if it's going up or down. Yeah. I mean, actually I track market segments that I'm actively involved in. Uh, I tra I've been tracking them for decades. Um, so, you know, if you're really looking at long-term market trends, but if you're wanting to make a decision about a certain market segment, you can go in and analyze any market segment just based on what uh, the, those uh, supply and demand will tell you. Awesome. So Karen, tell my uh, listeners, where can they find you online? So for the five minute success, it is all the number five minute success. And you can find that on the website. You can find it on social media like Facebook um, and Instagram and LinkedIn. And then there's the five minute success podcast, which you can find wherever you can find podcasts. The books are all available on the website if you want quantity, but also on Amazon. So the three books are real estate success in five minutes a day and commit to get leads 66 day challenge and flip time love life. And awesome. on the real estate space, you can reach out to me as well, because I love to help people in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. metro region. Awesome, Karen. This was really an amazing time with you today. Thank you for uh, joining me on the podcast. And, you know, I'm going to be looking at those books and, and putting my five minutes a day. Well, thank you. I'm really delighted to be with the Deal Closer community. Thank you. Good night, everybody. This was Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, brought to you by Talee Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.taleeinvestments.com where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.